Thank you for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're going to review the Australian horror film Sissy. It's the latest in Psycho Bitch films. We can't wait to talk about it. It's now streaming on Shudder, so stop everything that you're doing and go watch it after you listen to this episode. We have with us the writers and directors Kane Sinis and Hannah Barlow. They're going to spill their guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. I got a... You just watched me open this. Well, I was going to say, this is our second episode of the year. We have to do this upright. We have to start this episode off right. So, uh, what are we smoking today? You were struggling over there opening that shit. Yeah, some of these packages are ridiculous. But uh, I bought this uh, when I went Christmas Eve for myself. Treat yourself. (laughs) Uh, I got some sugar cane. You just saw it. Usually, we we try it before we're on air, but I just opened this and I have it packed up. But... uh, Th- that seems like that would have been a good one to use for Christmas. Didn't you get that around Christmas? I'm surprised you didn't. I got tap a Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't tap into this. This is like what I feel like. This is what you should have been hitting with your hot chocolate. Well, I had like oh my god the the vapes that's, I had. That's uh, to the listeners out there. Hold on a second, John. I'm sorry to cut you off, but to the, to the people listening to this, the smell of this bag. It makes me want to eat this sweet. <laughs> it makes me want to eat it. Well, this, we got this a we got a bomb packed of it here, but uh. Yeah. Get yourself some sugar cane. God damn. Oh, yeah, but uh, the vape vapes I had, I had like sugar cookies and stuff. So, oh, yeah, so, I remember so, so that. I, covered the I remember the sugar cookie vape. But uh, nice. this is uh, 20% THC. Whew. It's a hybrid weed between a genetic cross between platinum and I've never heard of this one, slurricane. No, I never heard of that either. We're going to have to get some of that slurricane up on it here. It says it's an ideal choice for beginners and experienced cannabis consumers, whatever the beginners fuck Beginners and experienced. Okay. <laughs> Takes so, you on that noobs. journey. I don't know why it would be good for both, but whatever. It seems like a lot of THC for you if you're just starting out. Uh, the that. flavors and aroma are grape. The top effect is uh, energetic. Uh, its effects include, like I said, energetic, focused, and uplifted. Medical marijuana patients often choose it when dealing with symptoms associated with anxiety, depression, and stress. That'll help me. <laughs> Bred by House Genetics, sugarcane features flavors like grape, sweet, and floral. Yeah, I smelled that grape. That was that sweet smell that I smelled, man. It smelled well, sweet. This is a new one. They never usually tell us what the average prices are of it. That's interesting. Oh, okay. What, what do they got? What are the average prices for our listeners out there in case uh, they want to pick up some Typically range cane. between $30 and $60, but it doesn't say for what. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing I'm that's an eighth. Eighth. a gram. I don't think. Right? I don't know if 60 for a gram that's be a lot i mean i don't i mean i guess it doesn't wouldn't it all depend on who the website's uh aimed at though like if that's like a, a website for like colorado maybe that's the colorado prices you know what i mean maybe like if it were over here it'd be more expensive i don't know but i could see 30 dollars a gram but 60 is a little high yeah that's a little bit much <clears throat> okay so you said you got that loaded up so while you take the first hit of that uh i'm jealous um i wanted to bring up to you um so, uh, yeah, lots happened kind of in the last week, so only so much we can catch up on, but uh, the main one that we need to talk about first is the Evil Dead Rise trailer. Uh, they're, they're, uh, this movie looks dark as hell, 
and brutal and there's no humor it's dead serious going back to the original and what the 2013 remake did this is my most anticipated film of this year of 2023 its release date is april 21st and if you watch both the red band trailer and the theatrical trailer the non-red band you'll see different footage there's different footage in both and it's uh i think it's good to watch them both but i'm not going to go beyond that i'm not going to watch four five six trailers from now what i saw was enough to sell me john did you see it yeah i saw it uh i'd see i had seen uh the day before when bruce was hyping it up and they showed like a little 20 a little second teaser cut. yeah um and then i forgot about it the next day actually but uh my co-worker reminded me and i checked it out and i didn't have any expectations going into the trailer same I, um i'm interested it looks good yeah um, i mean it, lo- it lo- looked really good um and uh you know it reminds me a lot of Demons 2, how it takes place like in an apartment complex. So that that's a pretty cool comp, uh, concept for Evil Dead. Um, uh, and uh, director uh, Lee Cronin in Empire for Empire Magazine, he said that the trailer is just a little taste of the grind. And I think that's what we can expect, right? I mean, we, did, we know we didn't get what we're going to see in that movie, in that trailer. We know it's going to get worse than that. Yeah, and like you said about not watching other trailers, I'm kind of afraid to watch... if. The- you know, I'm, obviously they're going to put out more trailers, but yeah. I, I feel like I wouldn't want to watch those trailers. I feel like I got enough from that one that I'm good enough to, I want to go see it. Only a little bit right right, right before my birthday, so I'll definitely be checking that out. Oh yeah, we'll be, we'll be fried in that theater oh, checking sure. it out. Um, and uh, while I was talking about Lee Cronin, I wanted to also bring up that uh, two listeners out there uh, who are unfamiliar with him like I am, uh, I don't know if John's familiar with him or not. Um, uh, Lee Cronin is from Dublin, Ireland, who won awards for his work as a writer and director. Uh, he hasn't done much. He's mostly known for uh, his film The Hole in the Ground from 2019. Uh, I have not seen it, um, and if I did, I can't remember it. Did you see it, John? I have not. If I have seen it, I don't remember it, so that means I probably didn't like it if I did see it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's a little background on the director of the film. Also, the lead, the mother... Um, in the, in the trailer, An Evil Dead Rise, is played by Alyssa Sutherland, and she, I knew her, I recognized her from the show Vikings, and I immediately recognized her, and god damn, she looks fantastic with red hair, until she becomes a deadite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I feel like we're getting a little bit different story with Evil Dead, instead of just rehashing the whole same cabin with a group of teens concept. I liked how the Necronomicon had teeth and it like locks. Yeah. I thought that shit was fucking cool. Like the Necronomicon and the, and the looked pages cool. looked really good. Yeah, and like the cover kind of looked like a veiny cock. It didn't have a face on it. Was veiny. I didn't pay that much attention, I guess, to the uh, cover. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in other news, um, one of my favorite creepy doll movies, uh, creepy you got puppet me to watch movies. That one. Yeah, is uh, James Wan's Dead Silence, and uh, it's been announced by Scream Factory that Dead Silence is getting the 4K treatment on March 28th of this year. I am fucking buying that. Did you see the cover art for that shit? I have not. I didn't even know it was getting a 4K, and I was sitting here debating, would I get it? Uh, I'd probably... I probably won't be getting it. Oh, really? You didn't like it enough? I, I liked it well enough. I don't I don't dislike it. I think it's a good movie. It's just not one that I'm like, oh, I gotta have that. Well, I remember... But um, my collection is nowhere near yours, so I feel like there's a lot of movies at this point that I, I would maybe go, uh... I don't need that. Whereas you're like, oh, well, I got all the rest of that. I, want that. <laughs> I feel you. Um, no, I, uh, well, the th- two things. One, the thing that I dislike about, 
the Scream Factory releases. They're doing the whole thing where, to me, it really is. There's the only company that really does it, and it's really just a cash grab because they know that their customers are collectors, and they're doing this thing where if you order it directly from their website, you get this uh, special cover art, um, and you only get this cover art. Here, check it out. I'll show you. Right? That's awesome, right? It's yeah, done by Devin Whitehead. Um, so uh, he, uh, their Scream Factory's like, you know, oh, so order it from our website and get the deluxe edition. But to get the deluxe edition, it's you get the movie on 4K with the basic slipcover, which is like the cover of the film with the finger over the doll's mouth, like, shh, you know, um, and a poster of that. And then you get a poster of the alternate artwork that I just showed you and the slipcover for that. Like, why do you need to throw in, like, two slipcovers? Like, that's just such a cash grab. Like, how about just make the special bundle one the one that has the special slip? Why do you need to include... What are you going to do with the other slipcover? Like, what is the point of that? It's just a cash grab for people who collect slipcovers. And that bothers me a little bit. Is that just me because I'm a collector, or do you think that's ridiculous? Yeah, I mean, but I don't really collect on the level you collect. I just... I have my little collection of 4k blu-rays before that i used to have a lot of dvds and then i just went hardcore streaming but if you but i'm asking though if you bought it if you bought this edition if you were like fuck it I, if you if you did like the movie enough to buy it and you said fuck it i'm gonna buy it and i'm gonna order that not talking about the posters posters are a different thing what would you do what would anybody do when they get a second slipcover you're gonna pick the one you want and then the other one's gonna fucking go in a drawer somewhere where 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 would you even like store it that's what i'm saying it's it's yeah you know but um yeah, so that that's a little weird to me. Uh, so I'm just going to order mine off of, like, uh, from Diabolic or somewhere and, and just get the basic cover. I'm not going to pay extra money just for that extra slip cover. But um, uh, I remember uh, clear as day, the other thing I wanted to talk about was I had, like, the biggest payday of my life at that point. When the movie came out on DVD and Blockbuster was still around, um, I remember I was working, I was doing carpet, and I got uh, with tip and my paycheck included. Our customer was, like, loaded and they gave us a tip. Um, I had like, I brought home like $1,100 in cash and I was fucking hype. It was the most money <laughs> I'd ever had. And I went into uh blockbuster and, uh, I just bought so many movies. I remember I bought saving Silverman. We were just oh, talking fuck, about yeah. that. I, I remember I just watched that last week with Nicole. <clears throat> fucking love that movie. Yeah. I, I remember I was just like loading up and I remember my dad was pissed. Cause like you make that much money and your first goal is you want to just buy a bunch of movies with it. You don't want to buy a car, you know? And, uh, well anyway, so I'm like, you know, loading up on movies and I was like, no, I, I saw uh, dead silence there on the rack. And I immediately had to grab it. And it was one of those like things where I saw it. I believe the DVD was like twenty seven ninety nine new. And I was like, no, I know goddamn well I could get this cheaper. And it's inflated <laughs> as hell. But I'm going to get it because I got money. And I just remember when I bought it, it was the day that I had all that money. So that movie's kind of uh, burned into my brain. Yeah. Uh, this weed's pretty damn good. Yeah, actually. Sorry it's for talking. I was going to say. It's really smooth. It's sweet. When I, when I hit it, it tastes like, uh, it, it definitely has like a sweet... It's almost odd, dare, dare I say sugary? It's very sweet. It is like the exhale is very nice. All right. So, uh, is that about that, it? I think that's about it for Stray Wreck Current Events. Get on to Horror Hiss. Horror Hiss? This week in Horror History. All right, John, tell us uh, what do we have going on this week for Horror History? All right. Horror History. We're going to take a look at some birthdays and some other, well, I guess movies that came out. Not really too many movies this week. But uh, January 9th, we celebrate the birthdays of Angela Bettis and Lee Van Cleef. Angela Bettis, better known for her roles in uh, uh, such films as May and Girl Interrupted. As well as her portrayal of uh, Carrie White in the 
2002 TV adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie. Yeah, that's, that's that's right. Actually, yeah, not the best. <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, he's better known for his roles in westerns, but he's also in several horror films, including The House by the Cemetery and Escape from New York. Escape from New York has worked with John Carpenter. That's right. Lee Van Cleef was an old school Hollywood man. You could tell that dude didn't take shit just by looking at him with right? that mustache. And you he was uh, he was good in the Dollars trilogy as well. Oh yeah, Eastwood. for sure. Oh, fucking. Losing my place here, Jesus. <laughs> uh, January 10th, and on this day in 1997, the horror film The Relic was released, directed by Peter Himes. Uh, the movie follows a research team investigating a series of mysterious deaths at a museum, only to discover a terrifying creature lurking within. Yeah, man, I love The Relic. Uh, the novel by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child is better than the movie, but the Cathoga monster in the movie is just fucking incredible. Stan Winston Studios with another win there for sure you know the Cathoga, like most great monster movies keeps you seeing the monster to a minimum um the Cathoga only gets about four minutes of screen time and a lot of that is shot in the dark but the design is flawless i mean a monster hiding in a museum and eating brains what's not to like i'm keeping my fingers crossed that a major company does a special edition 4k of it one day but i'm not buying any alternate slips maybe arrow yeah <laughs> would you buy it if they gave you three slip covers I would sell the slipcovers if it was worth If that was the only way I could buy it is with three extra slips. <laughs> three slips. <laughs> three slips and a jab. Anyway, moving on to January 11th. Happy birthday to Darren Lynn Bowsman, the director of films such as Saw 2, 3, and 4. And Kyle Richards, an actress, obviously best known for her role in Halloween. And I guess well, she had all she was she was only in kills and ends, right? Yeah, correct. And basically irrelevant in ends. And, basically, uh, Watcher in the woods, and uh, also known better known for that uh, cat meme. Oh yeah, that's right. From uh, Real Housewives, she's the OG uh, original housewife. Yeah, she's a real housewife in real life. That's right. She she a real housewife in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on here, January 12th, we celebrate the birthday of Kirstie Alley, uh, better known for her role in the 1995 film Village of the Damned. Yeah, she did horror. That counts. That yeah. counts. John Carpenter. Unfortunately, just recently passed. Yeah, unfortunately. And uh, yeah. also some dude named Rob Zombie, <laughs> musician, birthday, Rob. Uh, filmmaker behind the Halloween remake, House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh 31 what would else am i missing? the devil's rejects devil's rejects that's and the right. monsters yeah the, uh, best, Super best director in his family happy birthday yeah true that and uh on this day in 1990 leatherface the texas chainsaw massacre 3 was released I've said this before, but I stopped after the first one. I never cared for Texas Chainsaw 2 or 3. 4 uh, now? Yeah, the next generation, I never cared for that. No, it's, um, it's so bad that you like it. it, it well, I mean, you don't. I do. Yeah, well, the, the, the Le Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 leatherface has a cool background though depending on how you look at it you know like there's some footage that unfortunately is lost forever due to the fact that they had to keep cutting it and sending it back to the mpaa 11 times 11 times and uh you know how back in the 80s how they'd make a poster for a movie before the production even started just to like sell the idea of the movie well this movie's trailer was done before production started and they, di they didn't even have a director yet <laughs> so um what do you think fell off worse texas chainsaw 
or Hellraiser? Oh God, dude! Um, Hellraiser. They went to space quick. <laughs> <laughs> they went to space quick. Hellraiser was just yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all we could get. It's just but Hellraiser has the stronger uh, first outings. But yeah, it went down downhill a lot quicker. And uh, I believe I'm double checking here, but uh, we're moving on to February. February, Jesus! I'm already a month, yeah, a month ahead. ahead here. Yeah, January thirteenth, and uh, it is one of only two Friday the thirteenth this year. The other one's in October. Oh, nice! I have to mark that day as a yeah, Friday the thirteenth. That happened a couple a couple years ago. I feel like. You have to watch, if it's October and you believe in watching the 31 movies for 31 days of Halloween, and there's a Friday the 13th day in that month, you have to watch a fucking Friday the 13th film on that day. Just be a dick and watch a Nightmare on Elm Street. Actually, what are you watching on Friday the 13th? Dream Warrior, son. <laughs> <laughs> now that you bring that up, I feel like it was about three or four years ago, there was a Friday the 13th in October, and I started, obviously it ran a little bit over, but... I watched every single Friday the 13th movie that day. Like, I just back <laughs> to back did not, like, Damn. one's done, moved on to two, and just went in the order that they were released. And I, I'm including Freddy versus Jason. Holy shit. Holy shit. I, I'm thinking about it, but I don't know that I'm going to get Nicole on board this time. <laughs> do that. do a full 24-hour marathon. But anyway, but I haven't even talked about the two movies that were released today, and I am I feel like we mentioned both of these last year. I'm fairly confident. Wait, 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 uh, wait, before, let me tell okay. you a bit about Pumpkinhead real quick. Uh, well, one of them is... Ta-da, Pumpkinhead. I 19- thought you already announced Didn't you announce it already? No, I hadn't announced it. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Because we sorry. went right into Friday 13th. You're Pumpkinhead, right. right. directed in 89 uh, by Stan Winston, starring Lance Hendrickson, and the other one, Demon Knight, in 1995, a film in the Tales in the Crypt series. Well, again, I'll start with Pumpkinhead. Um, yeah, I, I drooled over this movie enough in the past, so I'm not going to hold us up, but I will say that uh, I brought this up to you before, John. Uh, that Lance Henriksen said that some of those coins that he pays Haggis with fell under the mud, uh, fell under the cabin in the mud and water under her little cabin. Uh, and that's like true. Like to this day, there's like coins from the movie somewhere in that mud. And I would love for you and I to make that a trip sometime and go up there. And I know we'd get dirty as shit, but <laughs> if we walked in with a pocket full of like coins, you know, I like, horror oh finds pumpkin head coins. Would you sell them? I don't think I would. It depends how many there was. True. If there was like four or five, I'd maybe keep like two or three of them. Yeah. You know, that's true. Fair enough. There you go. There's five of them. We'll each keep two and then sell the extra ones. Split, split it. And uh, get new microphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you're welcome, Josh. But uh, and, uh, in Demon Knight, Billy Zane gives the performance of his career here, man. I know he's Mr. Titanic after this, but, you know, uh, this movie was fantastic for two reasons. One, it was a good movie. And two, it showed that uh, a show like Tales from the Crypt could branch out into movies and it killed it it was a big deal tales from the crypt was unstoppable to a point and uh the next feature bordello of blood was a total disaster due to dennis miller sabotaging it and being (laughs) an egomaniac on set the movie wasn't as good as demon knight but uh it could have been better than it was and uh also uh moving on here january 14th uh, on this day in 1981, the science fiction horror film Scanners was released, directed by David Cronenberg. The movie follows a man with telepathic powers who becomes embroiled in a plot to take over the world. 
a brilliant film, man. And the it's thing, Cronenberg, of course, it's brilliant. The thing that stands out to me, the thing that I think of first, isn't the head explosion. It's the score by Howard Shore. It's unnerving and yet beautiful. But uh, the thing is, uh, Scanner seems to be like the most important and like favorited film amongst horror fans. Like everybody, whenever it's like Cronenberg, everybody's like Scanners, and I, you know where we stand. Videodrome, yeah, ball. right. You know it's Videodrome, but uh, no, Scanners is like V. I think that was because it was his breakthrough movie. So that's the movie that maybe stands out to people yeah, the most. That's fair because that's when they like remember like actually recognizing him as a director, but. Um, like, I, there's no way that Scanners is better than Videodrome. I'm sorry, you know, come at me. <laughs> Drew said, don't at me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that'll about, uh, wrap up, uh, horror history. So, uh, you know, right. always join us again for more birthdays, movies, and other horror related events. Now, uh, let's get into uh, Puff Puff Ask, the segment of our show where we answer the questions that you listeners send in to us at High on Horror 420 on social media, at our website, or our email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Yo, man. Puff Puff Ask. Okay, I'll go first. Our first question in Puff Puff Ask is from Ken from Instagram. John, he asked us, if we could go back in time and be the victim of any kill in any horror movie, what would we choose? My answer is Bob from Halloween. That's the one that comes to the top of my head when I think of a kill from a horror movie. Not that it's like my favorite, but it's like, the, I guess the one that is just, that's the word association. You say like favorite kill or kill in a horror movie, and that's what I see. And, um... Uh, or maybe, you know, I'd let Chucky use the, like, air tire thingy on me and knock me through some desks and then beat me with a yardstick like he does Miss Kettlewell in Child's Play 2. Yeah, but that sounds brutal. <laughs> yeah, and to you get your ass whooped by a doll, too. That sucks. I was gonna say, uh, surprise finger in the butthole from Halloween 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, off the back. Which is, oh. That, that would be rough, though, but that's an iconic kill. For real. Uh, or any kind of, uh, from Bride of Chucky with Jennifer Tilly. Like, sign me up for that. She can tie me uh, up uh, and shit. So did you, legitimate, <laughs> yeah, you want to be Damien? You want to be like, you want to be the dude? Yeah, against, but he did yeah. get that thing just, yeah. right. oh, that's yeah. rough. But yeah. I mean, maybe it'd be worth it for five minutes with Tilly. You know, <laughs> right? five minutes, is, we're, we're going to call it five minutes with Tilly. <laughs> but uh, wait, so did you just name a Halloween movie and a child's play <laughs> yes, movie? Yes, well, so I followed up with yours. But, yeah, yeah, Halloween too would I feel like that'd be a good one. But I feel like uh Bob's that's kinda rough. You got there and then and then and then your toes just dangling. Yeah, but the thing is Michael wouldn't be able to do that to us. Our fat asses would just split down the middle Ugh. and the knife would just See it's us. making it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he'd have a knife big enough to pin through us into the wall. <laughs> you know <yeah. laughs> that might be a struggle for him. That's fair. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> you want to leave it there? Yeah, let's go. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to rethink yours at this point. <laughs> I'm just gonna imagine Michael's strong enough and has a knife that will do the do the task. Just, I don't know. I know it ain't working on me. That's for sure. <laughs> um, oh, shit. We're like pin cushion to the wall. <laughs> he needs like nine knives to hold us up. <laughs> oh my god. I'm too high right now, dude. That sugar cane is doing its job. Got a sugar rush. Uh, Bio Boy. Where the fuck do you get these names from? Instagram, bro. Bio Boy. Bio Boy. Ask if we have any heart tattoos. Um, No, I don't. <laughs> but I, I do have a tattoo 
Uh, Nicole and I have somewhat matching Pokemon tattoos. I got a Gengar. I mean, he's a ghost Pokemon. I guess that's about as close as he gets. <laughs> um, I think we might have been asked that question before, man. I don't know. Like, it's all kind of blurring together at this point. Bio Boy didn't ask it, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. But, uh, no, I don't have any horror-themed tattoos either. I have a Boondock Saints tattoo. Um, but I plan on having, like, a horror sleeve eventually. I, I have a plan. I just don't have the money. <laughs> Priorities. And I also have a Ace of Spades tattoo on my forearm, inside forearm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's funny because I don't even know what I would get as a horror tattoo. Like, I want I I portraits, but I'm, I'm, I'm always iffy about, like, the draw. Like, you saw, like, that Wednesday tattoo, the Wednesday Adams tattoo. Somebody got a Wednesday Adams tattoo, and Jenna Ortega came out looking like Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Portraits make me That's scary, but they're the best kind. That's why you have them mock it up first before they just start. Yeah, how are you going to freehand Samuel L. Jackson on somebody? <laughs> That's wild. That's, like, I mean, like, my, my, my latest one, I just got it done, was it September? Like, the guy drew a sketch, and then they put it on, and he's like... If somebody yeah. was like, I want to go freehand, I'd be like, no. Yeah, not on a sketch. Not no fucking way. Not on a, not on a portrait either. Oh, I think I know what horror tattoo I get. I'll get the thorn. The thorn on, symbol? On my left wrist. I went, I've always wanted to get Elvira on my, like, under my, my under forearm, like, laying on the red couch. That would be a sick tattoo that if it was That sounds expensive yeah. as fuck. And if it was, like, done right with the right color, like portrait style, you know, yeah, it would be expensive. And from wrist to elbow, that would be a sick tattoo. And then on the other <laughs> side, I'd have oh. uh, Myers' face with the house under it. Kind of I don't know why that sounds, sounds deeply pornographic, <laughs> wrist to elbow. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, now let's move on to our uh, review of this episode's topic, Sissy. All right, so Sissy is a 2022 dark comedy horror. The film is uh, written and directed by Hannah Barlow and Kane Sennis. Uh, the film stars Aisha D as Cecilia, Hannah Barlow as Emma, Emily D. Margrady, I'm probably butchering that, as Alex, Daniel Monk as Jamie, Erin Ha as Tracy, and Lucy Barrett as Fran. Uh, the f movie follows the story of two best friends, Cecilia and Emma, as they navigate the ups and downs of their friendship. We see flashbacks of their younger selves and their bond of friendship, as well as telling the present day story as they reunite. Uh, we also see Cecilia struggling with her own identity as she tries to move past the nickname of Sissy that has followed her a long time. And as the story unfolds, we see Emma inviting Cecilia to an engagement party and a hen's weekend getaway, which is a distinct Australian term because I had never heard of that. Yeah. And I was like, if you said that in America, you would be sexist. But <laughs> <laughs> if you were like, oh, what's Nicole up to? And I'd be like, oh, she's on a hen's weekend somewhere. Like, I feel like if you said that in America, they'd label you sexist. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, that leads to more drama and confrontations with the character from Cecilia's past. And uh, the film, we open with like a videotape of Cecilia and Emma like talking about how they're best friends, how they're going to stay together forever. And uh, then we kind of go to present day. We see Cecilia. She's, I guess, a podcaster slash influencer. And YouTuber, yeah. Helping people with uh, their mental health. And then uh, we see her in the store, and some of the products, you didn't even catch this because we talked about this off air, and I wish I brought it up in the interview, I wish, but I didn't because I forgot about it. But 
when she's in there going through the aisle, the name for the tampons is Bloody Brilliant. Yeah, I did not <laughs> catch that. Thing. That is awesome, though. <laughs> that made me laugh. And I was like, okay. Because it kind of starts pretty serious. I'm like, okay, it's going to be, you know, something where we just get those, like, brief moments of levity. That, But it's not something that takes, like, the humor's not something that takes you out of the movie. Yeah. And uh, Cecilia tries, sees Emma, actually, first, and tries to hide from her. And then Emma notices her and... She invites her out to an engagement party. And uh, when you're there, uh, this kind of happens throughout the film. And it's really well done as we get close-ups of Cecilia. And you can just tell how uncomfortable she is yeah. being in public. Agreed. And You really feel the anxiety. It feels you know? very jarring and uneasy <clears throat> is, is how I how I describe yeah. it. Um, Cecilia also wants to let people know she is not sissy anymore. <laughs> that's yeah, very true and uh we get flashbacks of cecilia and emma you know when they were kids again kind of happens a lot throughout the film we have a lot of flashbacks to this videotape and just a, actually i guess it, was it multiple videos yeah i feel it was, like it was, it was it was i feel like it was a, um like a uh, well maybe it was the same tape with like a, was, make a mixtape yeah. type of vhs yeah. <laughs> a mixed mixed vhs tape yeah where well, you just record a bunch of shit on one tape and, uh, yeah, Cecilia, uh, goes to the engagement party and Emma is trashed. And <laughs> I always feel like in the beginning, Emma's put in Cecilia in a lot of uncomfortable positions that you can tell she doesn't want to do. It's unintentional though. It's like, she's like trying to just welcome her as part of her life again and family yeah. again. It's like Cecilia's resilient to the resistant to that and doesn't know how to accept that. So it makes her awkward, but it's, it was a, it's a nice gesture from Hannah. She means well, uh, Sissy just is very awkward uh, cecilia uh right i'm sorry <laughs> yikes <laughs> oh my bad I, I insult you and then i kick the table i'm gonna have to hear about that one from josh yep, our editor and producer josh is gonna love you extraordinaire but uh also like it's but it's funny though because like you can tell she doesn't want to do the karaoke but then she gets up and does the karaoke <laughs> yeah and it's like they're they're besties again and uh well, then we cut to uh, Emma yakking in the bathroom, and uh, she ends up inviting Cecilia to that weekend getaway. And then on the ride home in her uh, Uber, Cecilia recognizes someone from her past is like in post on Emma's Instagram, and she starts having bad flashbacks. So she has the Uber driver take her to a no another location where she digs up the box that we see earlier in the videos, like their little time capsule yeah, yeah. that they bury to their future self. She goes and digs it up. I wish I wish I had a friend like that, man. Like, right? I wish I had some shit like that. That'd be so cool, man. Like, you know, uh, that would just be so cool to have a friend with that that with that was that like sentimental, where y'all had like a box that like you could dig up and find at some point. That's awesome, you know. And uh, Cecilia watches the video and just has a, just a wave of nostalgia just yeah. wash over. And uh, she falls asleep, and then she has a nightmare. And you can tell it's, like, younger her, because we've already seen the younger her from and the And her videos. hair, the way her hair is, you know. And she's, like, crying over in the corner. And uh, she confronts herself in the dream and tells herself not to be a sissy. And, uh, and also on that drive over with the Uber, uh, you... We find out that it's a girl named Alex, a person from her not so happy flashbacks, is going to be at the cabin. And she's like uh, a HBIC too. She's like yeah, uh, she's a really important part of uh, Emma's life. Yeah, on the drive over there, she she finds that out because somebody mentions it. And you can just see like the pure like 
terror. Yeah, the anxiety. Like I said, the anxiety. Yeah, yeah for sure. It just like immediately, he's like, "What the fuck?" She doesn't sweat. You know, she's beautiful. She's like, she's 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 really you know pretty. So, but but, and it's not sweat. But you want to say she does glisten on those like close ups. You want to say that like, you could feel the anxiety. She almost looks like she's sweating, but she's not. You don't see nothing run down her face or nothing. But you sense the perspiration. If that <laughs> makes sense. And uh, uh, yeah, she has another bad flashback. And uh, you have these kids saying sissy's a sissy being led by uh, Alex. Yeah. And then uh, Cecilia hits a kangaroo on the way over there and it's all twitching and shit. <laughs> and then like she imagines her younger self like as the kangaroo being yeah. hit. And uh, when they get to the cabin, the other girls kind of go in first. Cecilia kind of lags behind. And all, all the other girls are in there celebrating and Cecilia comes in and the look on that grown-up now, Alex's face, is just a combo of scared and angry. Mm. I, ca- I call it, like, scangry. Yeah. Scangry? Scangry. <laughs> Took a second to register. This weed's <laughs> fucking me up. And then Alex immediately takes Emma outside, and just everyone's confused. Alex starts talking, like, very passionately to Emma. And Cecilia's just kind of standing there, like, looking on. And I, the only thing you could really hear is you hear Alex say that to Emma that Cecilia's crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's about the only thing you make out from the whole conversation. And uh, Cecilia kind of feels like she's being left out of everything. They're all kind of like celebrating, but she's kind of like a little offish. Yeah, standoffish. And I mean, you know, with Alex being there, it makes things worse. And basically, before we even learn their history, you know right away that it's a pissing contest over who's Emma's best friend. Yeah. You know, without even knowing why, you just know, oh, these two are like petty competing over the same chick. And uh, Cecilia ends up going upstairs and she brings out that time capsule mm-hmm. that she made and everyone's having fun. Uh, Alex also really wasn't with the group either. She kind of stormed off after she came back in from talking with uh, Emma outside. Yeah. Uh, and then they're watching the video, like, the, I mean, we've already seen it numerous times, but now Emma, Emma's friends are seeing it, everybody's, like, laughing, thinking it's cute, and, you know, because they're in there, like, on the video talking about how they're going to be best friends forever, mm-hmm. and they can't imagine each other not in each other, in their lives, and, like, everybody thinks it's cute, and then Alex comes downstairs, and she just shuts that shit down. She just, like, was not about it. Agreed, yeah. So, like I said, the jealousy is real. And then at dinner, like, we get even more tension between Alex and Cecilia. Because, like, uh, I will say, like, Cecilia doesn't buy into where they're like, oh, she's famous. And she's like, no, like, like I'm, I'm not. Because they try calling her an influencer. Yeah, and she's yeah, yeah. like, oh, I don't, I don't want that title. And. But then, like, Alex is, like, the complete opposite. She was like, oh, she doesn't have a degree. She's a fraud. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And, mm-hmm. like, just humiliates her. Just and then Cecilia's like, well, like, I tell her. my audience that I'm not a doctor. This is just my experience. She's like, yeah, but then everybody kind of charts going to Alex's side and was mm-hmm. like, yeah, what if you're giving people bad information and they listen to you? Yeah. And uh, Alex just keeps calling her sissy over and over. On purpose. You can All, tell. Oh, it's, it's a jab. Sure. It's a jab. The way it's said, even. And then mocks her for like yeah. being a podcaster. And for any of you there listening to that and you're on Alex's side, hey, we're important people, okay? Podcasters so, <laughs> yeah, matter. we're important, damn it. <laughs> but uh Yeah, then uh, that's kind of where the story really starts getting getting going after the uh after the dinner. I don't wanna <laughs> spoil anything, but yeah. uh 
Sissy, for me, it's a dramatic exploration. It's like friendship, identity. There's a heavy focus on, you know, Cecilia, Emma, and Alex are really, that's, I guess it's, you know, for lack of a better term, a love triangle, but like friendship. Yeah. Uh, the use of flashback and dream sequences kind of adds a layer of complexity to the story. Uh, the tension between Cecilia and Alex is just as, like, there's so many uncomfortable moments. The engagement party, the cabin trip, it's just, that adds to the overall unease I feel in the film. Uh, one thing is I like the extreme close-ups, especially um, Asia, who plays Cecilia. Like, she really can play a really good range of emotions. And uh, that just, I feel, adds to the overall tension and discomfort in certain scenes. Sissy's a poignant and thought-provoking film, touches on important themes of self-acceptance and complexities of relationships. I'd give it a 7.8 out of 10. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, you mentioned a lot of things, and you're right, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you went before me, so you, you got all the good lines, you said all the important shit, and you, you described everything right, and I agree with everything that you said. The one thing that, uh, I, that you didn't bring up, though, was that uh, it's a massive take on how trauma affects you from For childhood. Sure. Because Sissy is something, what, what happens from Sissy's childhood is the reason she is the way she is now. So it shows you like how childhood grows with you if you don't handle and how it properly. Not childhood, reality, really. Not childhood, how fucking, yeah, uh, but how, uh, how trauma, you know, follows you and grows with you and evolves and basically consumes you into like the point where you don't even know who you are anymore. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty deep. Um, uh, this movie came out of nowhere, uh, for, in my opinion. Like, I had no, I, had, I didn't hear anything about it. I didn't see it covered in any magazine. I didn't hear about it until you told me about it. Right. Even I, though it was on Shutter, I still, I didn't hear anything about well, well, it. Well, Shutter sent us a screener. That's yeah. just it, you know, so that's, that's, you know, and I was shocked by the production quality. Like, it looks like a studio film. It is so smooth and polished, and uh, it's, it's so well acted. That was one of the things that pulled me in was, it's like, you know, you're watching a movie that's indie and your first things are, okay, does it look cheap and are, is the acting bad? And right away you're like, no, the, the production quality is good and the acting seems really well. And uh, it is. Um, I, it blends practical effects with CGI very well. And it's a very funny movie. I laughed a lot. Uh, and it gets gory as shit and dark as shit. Uh, the ending is insane and so diabolical. Um, I, yeah. I give it 8.25 out of 10. That e the ending. I... I uh, what a twist, right? Blood in the eyes, literally. It was one of those films that I feel like there's so many, unfortunately, horror films that are maybe not this kind of concept, but based on, it's just like, you're like, how how is this not caught? How is this, how is this able to play out? There's no way this would be realistic. And I was watching this and I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up? How is this? I just don't understand how, how, how this is going to end. And I'm like, Oh wow. Mm. That was, that yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it, it wound down perfectly. And, uh, there's, um, actually, uh, there's not much trivia online about the film. So there's not a burn and learn on this episode. Um, uh, you know, the knowledge you'll get from about this movie from this episode, it will come from, uh, the interview that we'll get into in a few minutes. Um, newer movies are always harder to get information on, you know? Um, oh, but sure. um, the, the only thing posted on IMDb under the trivia section is quite interesting. Uh, it says, Hannah Barlow, in addition to playing Emma and co-directing the film, also sings the last song in the credits, an ode to Narcissa, performed by Hannah Barlow, composed by Kenneth Lample, 
and Hannah's Barlow, uh, lyrics by Hannah, and produced by Kenneth uh, Lample. So that's interesting. I did not know that uh, Emma also sang on top of directing and acting. I read that, and I 100% forgot all about it until you just <laughs> said it again. Maybe she'll sing a song for us if we ask. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I feel like uh, it did a it, it weaves a, a bunch of different sh- subgenres together well. Agreed. It does like it has that. Uh, you're a fan of Mean Girls, and it does definitely have a Mean Girls vibe to it. Uh, it has like a um, what's the Jawbreaker? Do you ever see Jawbreaker? Oh yeah, I love Jawbreaker. Yeah, it has that that whole vibe of like those like that group of girls, uh, but it also has like that that dark humor that uh, I don't really have a reference off the top of my head, but it's it's just that dark humor that really just curves that girl that girl film into like something a little bit more dreadful you know than just like uh just like girls uh like putting bad notes in your locker you know what i mean yeah and uh you brought up jawbreaker i was gonna say rose mcgowan's gonna be a monster mania apparently she's never done a horror con before oh wow wow yeah they were able to get her for the march one i would definitely definitely get her autograph uh i would get a i know everybody's gonna go for scream but i would do planet terror man i love planet terror with the gun leg nicole nicole loves that and death death proof i want to know who's gonna bring like a piece of a garage door in for her to autograph (laughs) (laughs) he's a little flap he's a little doggy door for the garage doggy door that'd be amazing (laughs) like how uh pj souls gets telephones yeah right (laughs) all right we're just rambling now so uh let's get into our interview with the writers and directors of sissy kane senis and hannah barlow With us today, we have the writers and directors of Sissy, which is now available on Shudder to stream. Welcome, Kane Senes and Hannah Barlow. Thank you for being on High on Horror. G'day. Thanks G'day. for having us. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> uh, so you, you two are both our, uh, our first guests from Australia on High on Horror, and every culture is different. Can you two tell us uh, what's some horror films that are big down there, or, or more fittingly, should I say, down under? I'm really glad I said g'day because that's representing our whole country in yeah. one expression. I mean, come on. Like the first Aussies, really? I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. Um, Australian horror represent. Um, we love our own um, film, like our own beautiful, rich history of film, and we've got to start with Wake in Fright. Mm, that's our, yeah, that's probably our all-time favourite Aussie horror film. Um Ted, Ted Kotcheff, who directed oh, nice. okay. First Blood, came down to Australia and shot Wake and Fright, which is a great little kind of horror film about being in the, being stuck in the outback. A Canadian made the best Australian horror film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's what always happens, right? It kind of, kind of take, takes an outside perspective. But uh, we also love The Loved Ones. Yeah, Loved Ones, the Sean Byrne film from, I think, 2009. That oh, was I the, love The Loved Ones. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a big reference for us. Where the girl just, ties the guy to the chair and, and drills him with the drill gun and everything. Yeah, yeah that movie's awesome. <laughs> it's really fun. It's probably <laughs> the best um, comedy horror that we've made, I think. Um, but, you know, there's lots of great Australian horror. I mean, Babadook is a recent one that did really well. Um, you know, there's there's plenty. Uh, uh, Long Weekend. Um, the Nightingale. Nightingale, Razorback, Go- going back a few decades. You Won't Be Alone, I think, was my favourite film of the year, and that's an Australian Macedonian horror okay. film. Australian director. Um, 
he is a talent to watch. His work is beautiful. Yeah, check that film out if you guys haven't seen it yet. I, I think it came out this past year. Gorin Stileski. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so, one yeah. I haven't caught yet. Um, I did want to ask you guys, though, um, what about Wolf Creek? Wolf Creek is huge uh, over here. Is it as big over there as it is here? I think it put Australia on the map. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's big. You know? it's, not, it's not very often that Australian films get a sequel, you know. Um, Greg, Greg, Greg McLean's a big, big kind of director here. He's pretty well known in the, especially in kind of the genre scene. Um, yeah, that's it, it's funny. We always kind of skip that one because, in a way, it just seems so obvious because <laughs> it is so well known. Our connection to <laughs> Rick is that our first AD, Rick Beecroft, was the first AD on Wolf Creek. Yeah, so, so there's he, some lineage there. He always had a lot of Wolf. Oh, awesome! He, he always had a lot of Wolf Creek stories. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, so you both are on high on horror, so I always ask our guests this. Um, do either of you indulge in cannabis? Absolutely. <laughs> not that it's legal in Australia. Yes, uh, seriously? Uh, awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's not legal in Delaware, neither. <laughs> I'm just going to hold up for you uh, my little rolling tray of a little uh, oh, stone Raphael Ninja Turtle. Yes. So, there you go. Oh, that is amazing. Is Raphael your favorite Ninja Turtle? You know, it's tricky. I, I, I would have to say it's Michelangelo growing up because he was just always my guy as a kid. But the older I get, the more I look. He was the party dude. Yeah, I know. Like, he was just like, I don't know what it is. He He's the party boy, right? And then and then the older I got, the more I align with with Raph because he's just the kind of, he's, he, 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 he's the tortured one, right? He's kind of like the tortured artist uh, of the group. I yeah. like Donatello myself. Yeah, Donatello is my favorite, <laughs> but I did not like Raphael as a kid, but it's kind of the same thing as when I got older. I'm like, okay, I kind of understand where he's yeah. coming from. Yeah, like I um I, I just we we recently both just got on Letterboxd, which had been like a long time coming. And um I did like a top fifty all time list and I was just trying to be really honest, and I found that the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film from nineteen ninety made the top ten. And I ju- it just got me thinking back to when Raph gets thrown through that skylight um, into April's building and just yeah. ass whooped by the Foot Clan. Just a great. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, do you guys have a favorite way to consume cannabis? Is it smoking, uh, edibles? Well, Kane does this uh, very elegant thing where he rolls it with tea leaves because um, mm. we. We met in LA and we actually spent the first four years of our relationship in LA uh, when we were in our 20s. Mm. Um, and that was very much a fun oh, pastime for us. Yeah. Was uh, as Australians being like, oh my God, there's a whole world of cannabis here. Yeah. yeah. It's like going to like the wine store or something, <laughs> you know, the liquor store. It was just, it was We incredible. very much considered doing one of those Denver tours, you know. Um, where you like sit in the limo and they give you all different types of, of strains and edibles and stuff and they drive you around. But we're kind of limited here. Um, so we just kind of water it down and. But, but yeah, I've, I've definitely gone from, you know, being the LA kind of smoking it straight. Cause that stuff that you guys got over there is so strong. And when we came back to Australia, it's, it's mostly kind of bush, bush, like out, like what we call bush weed. It's out outdoor grown and it's a lot weaker. Um, and I just got used to that again. And 
whenever I go back to LA, uh, like for work or whatnot, we just, one of us greens out, man. One of us just has a bit too much <laughs> and it's like on the floor in amoeba, just clutching records. And the other one has to like, a sport them out. Yeah. it just gets too much. So now I just really go weak. It's mostly, uh, tea leaves, uh, ground up or like, um, Terp, terp kush or whatever it's called where it's kind of like the rest of the plant that's ground up but there's no thc in it i kind of use that as filler yeah and i just really sprinkle it on top now so it's it's pretty light i'd rather just kind of be able to you know measure it <laughs> instead of getting greened out <laughs> uh, oh, that's nice so you have your own little like method and technique going down for you guys that's I cool do. do you guys um vape do you uh use vapes at all we do have a pax um but we just don't use it as much, do we? I love packs. Yeah. yeah, I got a pack three. You know, those things are expensive, and they're supposedly like the best thing ever. But you know, and I'll like take it into like a like when we go to like the cinema, I'll take it and sit in the back and use it. And it's pretty funny. Like we went to see uh, the Super Mario Brothers film the other day. The the um the one with Leguizamo and Bob. Hoskins and that was just a great oh, time nice. to crack out the packs. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hopper is Bowser. Dennis Hopper. I had never like I'd seen oh, yeah. it as a kid and then I'd never watched it again like while smoking and I was just like, man, they must have been high making this film. It makes a lot more sense <laughs> when you're a little blazed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, what made uh, you two, Hannah and Kane, what made you two want to make movies? What was like the, the spark in you that said, hey, I want to do this for a living? Oh, um, I think we are just, oh, this is going to sound like a total wank. I don't think there's anything <laughs> else that we can do. Like, I think that we are just artistic people. And if we were trying to do any other career, we would probably drive everybody around us crazy um, because we're expressive, just, yeah. sensitive souls. Um, yeah. And I think that's yeah. what we were attracted to in each other because we started as a romantic couple um, and then segued into a creative couple. Um, yeah. And we're film fans first. I mean, Kane's in film fandom he has like an encyclopedic knowledge of film so i don't think there was any other course for him uh. i i just I, I, it like i was never like you know the kid kind of running around with like the bolex when i'm eight years old like you know spielberg i i just discovered it uh at my first year of my undergrad um in college and I just took a film class and I just kind of realized, oh, wow, like all my loves were, you know, like I was it, through high school, I was really into acting. I was really into painting and doing art. I was really into creative writing. And I was like, well, hang on a second. This is this is the one art form that encapsulates all of the things that I love about art. And so from then on, it just made a lot of sense. And then like I just thought back and I was like, oh, yeah, like my parents would debate would have arguments over who's going to take me to the video store because they knew they'd be sitting in the car outside for two hours. <laughs> so it just like, it made that a lot sounds of sense. Like me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That was the same thing with my parents that or like uh, bookstores. They're like, no, I don't want to go. This is going to be 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now that's transferred to a letterboxed top 50 list addiction yeah it's become a complete addiction <laughs> it feels like i'm back in the video store again in some way he's so happy i'm like oh god it's like his version of instagram or tiktok but like like i i always say you know i don't know stuff even like i i i would if i had to pick between making films and having films in my life as 
a fan, I think I would have to always go with being a fan first because I'm just always grateful for having a movie, you know, like I was bummed out about something last night. I threw on a, like a film just popped into my mind that I needed to watch. Straight out of Compton. Straight, it happened to be straight out of Compton. <laughs> I put it on and it just. Good it movie. Just, it's Great a good movie. movie. It just, it's not, it's just, I, I don't know why. I hadn't thought about that film in a while. It was nothing specific about it. It just popped in my head. Put that on. Put what that did you on. Quote? What was the quote? People speak, uh, speak, speak a little truth and people lose their minds. Yeah. He just, he, we were talking in this deep discussion. He's like. People speak a little truth, people lose their minds. And then he was like, let's put on straight out of content. And so, you know, like film is, <laughs> film, film is medicine. Like mo- mo- movies are medicine to me and I guess they always have been. And so uh, the older I get, the more I realize that that's just been something from, from day one really. Yeah, it's like church, it's medicine, and it's a touchstone of our lives. And so yeah. to be able to to, to, to um, make them. attempt it ourselves. It's like a true joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Sometimes it feels like we're cheating life a little bit, you know. <laughs> no, I, I totally understand. I'm the same way. You know, I suffer from like a lot of anxiety issues. And whenever I'm down or having like a really bad mental day, it's always like put on the crow or return of the living dead or something I've seen a hundred times. And it, it mends the soul. It does. Even though you've seen it a thousand times, yeah. there's something about it that just for some reason, it makes you feel better. There is, there's definitely healing power in watching movies. I a hundred percent agree with you guys. And, um, I wanted to ask you, how does co-writing and directing work for the two of you? Um, it's pretty seamless. Like, I feel like we just kind of, cause you know, because we're together in life and we live together, it's just, we, we have a lot of time together and we always just end up talking about things. We always end up talking about what we're into or like, Hey, let's like, that'd be cool as a story, you know? And we'd be able to work out this thing that we're struggling with in our lives. We'd be able to work out and maybe put that into a film and pull it apart and, and kind of dissect it. And so it always comes from a place of like, you know, um, what are we going through in life? And, and we're, we're talking about it anyway. And so then the conversation often segues to, well, how, like, let's, let's write about that in some way, you know? And so it kind of starts there. And, um, I think we just start sort of, um, attacking a structure together and then the vomit draft comes out. Mm. Um, I am more the person who, um, is less daunted by the white page and Kane is less daunted by helming a set. So um, we lean on each other for different things. Yeah, we always kind of say that Hannah's like a writer that has to direct her script and I'm like a director that needs a script to direct. (laughs) Yeah, and we're trying to grow up either. So So we kind of meet in the middle, you know, and we borrow from each other. Which makes it a far less lonely and more enjoyable experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So it's like you two literally complete each other in that yeah. sense. That's really awesome. It's funny, you know. Um, we're, so we're getting into <laughs> where, where Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger standing across the room from the Divorce Women's Club, you know, at one in the morning, saying, "You complete me." You had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. Getting into Sissy and the two of you working together and how you collaborate. Uh, what was the inspiration behind Sissy? I have to know, like, with a story like that, did one of you know someone like that in real life that was like just like a psycho jealous bitch, or was that just something somebody made up? <laughs> we don't talk about this a lot, but we did survive. Yes. We did survive a massacre in our mountain house, and we just decided to write about it. <laughs> I hope the I hope I hope I hope the real Cecilia doesn't find out. Uh, 
um, I think that the inspiration had started from a place of trying to understand someone with um, who wasn't well, who we had to kind of cut out of of our lives to be healthy. Um, and then in, in, I love, I love, I love it. I love the. It's, it's too early in the morning for like wake and bake. I like, I like forgot eye on horror. Duh. I didn't realize. Yeah, I'm getting distracted by your awesomeness. Um, um, both, both ripped one in various points. It's so good. Um, uh, respect. Um, yeah. So we were trying to, like trying to find like a like a pre-roll joint or something, but there's nothing around. <laughs> um, yeah, we're trying to process that, and then in processing that and coming up with like this general like cabin in the woods structure around um, our attempt to understand a certain personality type and how someone expresses their pain and how it's not their fault; it comes from wounding, and and then looking at ourselves because the only way that you can forgive somebody is to forgive yourself and actually be accountable for your own behavior and your part in like a friendship breakup or a breakup mm. or a disentanglement when you're moving out of enmeshment with with toxic people. You, the only way that you can forgive and actually heal is to truly examine how you've also wounded them and triggered them. So. And, and I think, I think for us, like, as soon as we decided to do that, that's when Cecilia went from being this a, villain, this villain, like in a traditional slasher film to actually the protagonist. And we were like, right, we've got to actually, we have to write from her perspective. Like we have to be her, not, you know, um, not one of the final girls and keep her at an arm's length. Like, you know, any other slasher uh, villain, but we actually need to be her and be in her shoes because that's how we're going to understand what our old friend was going through. Yeah, because we're all victims, rescuers, and perpetrators, right? So, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where it all was. In, it was all inspired from that place, really. Yeah. And then it was just looking around the world and being like, holy shit, man, like the place, like the world's insane with, you know, everyone having a mouthpiece online. <laughs> and then, like, just opinions. And obviously, at the time, America was kind of splitting into these two main factions. And there was just, like, this growing divide in the world. And it was right around that time when we started to write it in, like, 2018. We just left America because we were like, we're not staying around for this because <laughs> Trump was in like, holy <laughs> fuck, like, this place is going to shit. Um, no offense. Um <laughs> <laughs> None taken. Um, we have our own political issues here, of course, but yeah, we were just like looking at all of that and being like, "Where is this all headed?" And our relationship with social media is making everything worse, and mm. um, we're all really wounded by stuff that's happening a million miles away. And and the leader of the free world is a narcissistic sociopath, and how are we contributing to putting him on a pedestal? And yeah, it was yeah we were sort of deconstructing all of that. Um, and also, um, without giving anything away, the, these sort of pathological constructions that we make in our own minds of how we get away with, um, our own really toxic damaging behavior and how we live with ourselves after we've done really awful things to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, Kane, you brought up uh, slasher films, and I, I read that you are a fan of slasher films. What is? Do you have a favorite slasher film or like favorites? Um, it's funny because it's like you know, I wouldn't say any slasher film is in you know, uh, like the, my top film list or anything like that. It's just as a genre, I just love going through them and binging them as much as possible. You know, like I I remember in the lead up to production, I just watched like all the Friday the 13th films in a row over basically a week. Um, yeah, yeah, like I'd seen a lot of them in the past, but like, I I don't think I'd seen all of them and not in sequential order. So I did that, um, which was a lot of fun. I really, I really like is, is number five, the one with, uh, with, um, Crispin Glover where they have the house party Four. four, four. Sorry. I always mix that up. I really yep. like. I really like. That's my favorite one. I really like Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, and I I think my favorite slasher from all time may actually be uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. It's like gets slept on a lot, and it's kind of become a little more reappraised lately. But um, and they did that documentary um, uh, with uh, Mark, the uh, lead. But um, it's so sad. It's a really great rewatch. I found like. Just it, it's to, to me, it's maybe the first time I'd seen a slasher film where, you know, you feel like it's about because the, the whole concept of that one is like Freddie is trying to get through to the real world and he's trying to uh, get through. Uh, he's basically using um, he's using this kid as basically his kind of portal through to the real world. So it's kind of like a possession story and it's a, a, a transformation story and you're essentially watching this good natured kid turn into Freddy Krueger in the real world. And I just think, no, like, I don't know if any other slasher, at least not from that era has kind of had, had done that before. Um, and you know, it's become this kind of like, uh, bastion of kind of queer, uh, kind of queer horror narrative. And, um, um, and I, I love that it's got that about it too, but you know, beyond that, it's just, I just think it's really slept on, and, and to me, it's probably my favorite nightmare film. And he um, was championing Sissy online. Yeah, yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, so, you know, I, I probably got to go there, and, like, I mean, my my, fa- my my favorite horror of all time is Alien, and it's probably in, like, my top, you know, three favorite films of all time, the original Alien, and you could call that a slasher. I mean, it's a monster in a house. It's um, Terminator Two is really it, good as well. Yeah, but Terminator Two is not a slasher. Well, isn't it? Nah, it's got slasher elements, but it's not like it's a yeah. I, that, that's what makes that film so great. It's got, it's got a lot of different elements in it. it. It's a slasher film. It's a time travel film. It's an action film. It's horror. But like, yeah, I, I definitely would say Alien has a lot of slasher elements. I mean, it's one creature that's picking off the crew one by one. So you know, I probably I probably have to go if if you consider Alien a slasher, I would I got to be clear about this. If you consider Alien a slasher, that's number one, and Freddy's Revenge is number two. I, yeah, I guess Alien could classify that way. I always kind of looked at it as a haunted house movie in outer space. It is, but it's a haunted house movie in which the crew gets killed one by one. That's so it's cool. fair enough. And I, I, I was going to say, I have to agree with you with Slasher. It, they're never going to be in my all-time top movies, but I just love the genre. It's just so much fun like to just throw it on. Like If you're doing something, you just have it on in the background. Yeah. I've seen them a million times, so it isn't like i got to pay much attention to the plot, yeah. and some of them have 
almost snow plot to them. Yeah. Well, and I think I think, I, I think that's why with Sissy we were just like there's such a rich tradition with slasher films like yes you set up the plot but like the second half just needs to be a series of good kill scenes because that's what that's what people who are watching slashes in the background that's what they stop to watch you know it's not the story it's the kill scenes and hannah do you have a favorite slasher movie um no (laughs) no not not yet is my answer I haven't done a lot of rewatches. Um, yeah, I love the psychological horrors. Mm. Um, I love, like, I don't. Yeah, not not yet, not yet. Well, that's not where that that's not where you came to the project from. That's not your background. Yeah. So it's kind of like we kind of meet in the middle, you know. Like I, I didn't know much about um, I didn't know much about Mean Girls. You know what I mean? Like I'd probably seen it when it came out, but to me, oh, I love Mean yeah, Girls. Yeah, like to me, that's not a film that I revisited. And through Hannah's lens, I was kind of like, holy shit, this this film's great. And and a lot of Sissy's Mean Girls, you know, it's Muriel's Wedding, which is kind of the Mean Girls of Australia, I guess. Um, it's films like that and that's... Like, would you call Titan a slasher? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, well, I don't know. Would, would you guys it, call... it starts as a slasher <laughs> and then it turns into something else? Yeah, that's a wacky movie. Yeah. yeah. Or... It's kind of. I'd say kind of. Yeah. Or... Um, but, but that's probably the closest you would get. Like, it's got to be a hybrid in some form because you're not, like, a, a fan of a true slasher. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would say that a lot of feminist comedies are psychological slashes, but they're not <laughs> slasher slashes. So, yeah. <laughs> it's insulting friends one by one. Yeah, just, like, killing off people through, like, psychological warfare. Through lack of self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Just destroying people's souls. <laughs> And uh, I want to talk about the score uh, for Sissy. There's a, there, there's definitely a Jalo elements to it. Are you, are you guys fans of the genre? Do you have any favorite Jalos? Well, I mean, that's the other one. You didn't mention Suspiria, but that's I love that's, Suspiria. That's right up there. I love. Hell yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, the, the answer is not coming from a place of not. It's just it hasn't been solidified yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is Suspiria a slasher? Yeah. No, it's it's more of a yeah. uh, haunting witch yes. movie. Yeah, there's a few kills in it, but I wouldn't say it's a yeah. slasher. Um, like screams, great yeah. scream. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna be answering this all all podcast now. There's a slasher. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, uh, Ken 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 Lample. Um, he's actually he's a New Yorker, isn't he? He's from Queens or Brooklyn? Yeah, w- Queens. W- Brooklyn, mm. Bronx, the Bronx. He's yeah. from the Bronx. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. No offense, man. Um, he's a he's a New Yorker that lives in Australia now, and um, we met up with him, and and he just loved what we kind of pitched to him, and we were just like, look, like listen to all these giallo. Like we sent him a bunch of Goblin, we sent him like a lot of playlists, and um, he just kind of went 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 nuts with it, and obviously brought a lot of his other influences, like a lot of kind of like the Bernard Herman kind of elements of the score and a lot of like the, the kind of, um, I guess like the Hitch, Hitch, Hitchcocking elements and then, and then also some Disney elements. So like, like her kind of, uh, what, what he called the sissy waltz, you know, which is just kind of her, um, her little kind of dreamlike kind of delusional reality, which is a very kind of sweet theme. And he just kind of really enjoyed blending it all together, I guess. But yeah, we, we definitely wanted Giallo uh, style in there. 
And didn't he he got like a huge accolade recently? Yeah, well, I think he got like top ten of uh, the American Film Institute, uh, the Ameri- um, Music Institute in LA or something like like for scores. Oh, wow. So you know he he did a great great job with it in such a short amount of time as well. Like he was really under the pump. He's he's just like a a, a true craftsman. Yeah, there's just something so. Um, there's something because you mentioned like there's something so uh, impactful. I think about those Giallo scores where they don't try to be subtle. They they just kind of you know uh, announce themselves as kind of like a character in the film almost. You know, and it's 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 really heavy handed, but we kind of love that about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something I had to ask because uh, of the scene with the kangaroo. As an American, obviously we don't have kangaroos. Is that something you see often on the side of the road? Like here, we have deer all the time. It gets yeah. hit. I, I've hit a deer one time in my life. Shit. Yeah. yeah, we we have roadkill, like kangaroos, wombats, um, wallabies, um, echidnas, like the Australian wildlife. As soon as you're an hour and a half outside of Sydney or any major city, you've got to really watch it. Um, like, they're, yeah. they're out. <laughs> a, a lot of kangaroos are like as you're driving down to like the mountains on the freeways, it's pretty like you're, you're seeing a lot of, a lot of dead dead roos on the side of the road. Yeah, it's which, really which, dangerous. Yeah, well, I remember they're huge. That that's where that came from in the film was just us actually driving to the mountains and being like, "Wow, there's a lot of roadkill." Yeah, um, we have deer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do it. Yeah, yeah, we have deer in Fredbo. No, we do. We do. If we'd done deer, it would have seemed, you know, so universal. What a lack right? of an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Wasted opportunity. And also Get Out had just had a deer uh, uh, when they hit the deer at the, the beginning as well. So we felt like we had to do something different. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to talk about the casting of younger Cecilia and Emma. Like, that was amazing. How hard was it to find younger versions of them? And also younger versions that looked so Oh, alike. that's so nice that you say that because that was a major concern. Um we were casting in the middle of the shoot, yeah, um, which was really hard. Um, and, of course, because of the content of the script, a lot of parents did not want to submit their children to play, to, to be in our film. Um, so, yeah, we found Camille and um, Amelia and April through Morifay Casting, a local agency here, and... Um, the parent, their parents were just so like excited and, and lovely and willing. And, and those kids had never really acted before. Like Amelia, the young Cecilia, that was her first time acting in any scenario. Like she hadn't even done an acting class. Oh, wow. She never had a day on set. And her first night on set was just covered in blood standing there. And it was like a night shoot. But for she's that, like, that one shot. She's with Asia oh, wow. and Lucy <laughs> and just like them cooing over her and she's covered in blood and she's just like having the she best time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, we got very lucky, you know, because we basically got sent maybe, I don't know, 20 kids or something and we told basically you have 24 hours to make a decision. And so, you know, we were just so fortunate that we actually like really liked some of those options. Um, and we, we got really lucky. I mean, I don't know what, what we would have done if they weren't on that list, you know, because yeah. it's quite a specific casting brief to kind of match these actors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Right. Well, um, Kane, I wanted to ask you as a male, what made you interested in making a film about females and female friendships and personal issues that deal with females? Well, you know, um, 
basically Hannah, <laughs> you know, like meeting Hannah and, <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's no, it's no kind of, you know, secret that a lot of, you know, kind of horror history has been directed by men and, 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 and the concept of like the final girl has been around forever. And it's usually, it's usually about kind of women that are being preyed upon by some kind of killer man. So, you know, like it's not, it's not unusual, um, I guess for a man to direct, uh, uh, a group of women in a film, but I would say that because we're really exploring actual friendship, um, going back to, you know, when girls are, uh, uh, are essentially kids, uh, and how that forms on, uh, at that age and how kind of the loss of a friend amongst girls is kind of like the first heartbreak that they often feel all of that stuff. I just learned from Hannah, you know, and just from talking to her about it and from her own experiences and, um, I was just always very much wanting, I think, to learn and to make something that I couldn't have made on my own. You know, um, it's just a bigger kind of challenge. And when you're going to work two, three years on something, you, you want to, I don't know, you want to just do something that you've never done before. And, um, you know, so I really do attribute that to, to Hannah. Um, I mean, there's this great, like, I, I always remembered not to, not, not to put us in any way near, near, uh, in, in the same breath, but I read a long time ago that, uh, when Martin Scorsese was being asked by Ellen Burstyn, who had approval of director, uh, on the movie, Alice doesn't live here anymore. When he went to meet with her and she said, well, what do you know about this story about a woman who, you know, who, who gets uh, like a domestic abuse story about this woman who were in her shoes and like, what, 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 like how, how, how are you going to direct this? You're a, you're an Italian American man, you know? And he just said, um, I don't know, but I, I want to learn. I'm willing to learn. Like I, I don't know yet how I'm going to, what my way in, but I want to find one and I want to tell this story and I want to learn. And I just, that always stuck with me. And so as soon as the concept of this story came up, it was one of those things where I was like, this is my opportunity to do that in some small way. So that's kind of what it's been. It's been a wonderful learning experience, I think, you know, because it is different. You know, I respect the hell out of that. Well, when, when young boys uh, uh, fight or whatever, when we're growing up, like what my experience would have been, it's very different. You know, I think we kind of aren't, it's not, punch a, it's, each other move on. you punch each other and you, you move on, you say, sorry, <laughs> you like you share your, your lunch with them or something, or like your trading cards and you make up. But with young girls, you know, it's, it's, um, social ostracization, which is a far bigger killer. Yeah. Cause that mental warfare is actually what makes people depressed and it's so suicidal. it's so psychological, you know, and I, I'm still shocked when I hear these stories. I'm like, wow, that's actually even worse than I thought, you know, because that wasn't my experience. Um, and it just happens basically to girls across the board. It's quite standard, actually. I don't know if you guys have kids yet. Do you? Yeah, I have two. Do you have any girls? Yeah, I have a five and a two-year-old. No, they're both boys, but they're both hellraisers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. at least you'll hopefully dodge that. I was going to say, I'm like, about. the teenage, the, the, the 11 to 16-year-old years are brutal for girls. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get to dodge that. Maybe not you. <laughs> yes, we'll find out. <laughs> well, um, Hannah, you uh, you had a leading role in the film as Emma, you know. So, which do you prefer, acting or directing? 
Um, I'm not sure yet. Um, we're having that, we were having that conversation yesterday. Um, but I think cause I came from an acting background, like I went to the sort of major repertoire theater school in Australia called NIDA where like Hugo Weaving, Kate Blanchett and Mel Gibson went, um, Tony Collette. Um, it's like the Juilliard of Australia. So that was my background. And then I came over to LA and met Kane and out of the frustration of not being cast, um, and not being picked in that huge sea of actors in LA, um, Kane and I made our first film together because I was like, we both need to make something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs and wait to be chosen. And after we made For Now, um, I was like, oh, wow, there's so much you can gain from being the storyteller. And it's a different kind of um hi, I guess. Mm. And no, I see what you did there. (laughs) And I think I prefer (laughs) that. Like I do think I prefer the being behind the camera. Um, It's also just like being on cameras really, like as you get older as a woman, it's really hard. It's like vicious. (laughs) I just, yeah, I mean, I've just. Well, do you feel pressure being filmed by Kane? Huh? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Kane. I'm sorry. I was uh, trying to ask, uh, do you feel pressure being filmed by your partner while you act when Kane's filming you <laughs> while you're, you know, doing the scene? Is there pressure or you is that awkward for you? No, no. I no. Nah. No. Well, we've okay. acted together before and Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's like a little embarrassing taking direction, but not really. Like I just trust him and like value him as an artist so much that it's easy this 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 it, this isn't really quite the same thing because hannah wasn't in front of the camera but um and without spoiling anything about the film uh for people who haven't seen it but let's just say there's a moment um oh, it's pretty hard okay spoilers if you haven't seen it skip forward 30 seconds but there is definitely a moment when hannah's character let's say uh we were shooting a prosthetic um, of Hannah's face and mm-hmm. Hannah and I kind of had to stand there behind the monitor and just watch as her head was pulverized. Um, and I just remembered kind of reach like, cause it's a long take, right? Like the, the, the makeup guy is kind of standing off camera and he knows the hit points where to hit the head cause he made it. And so it's just like a long take. Like we're just standing there for minutes while this guy is just going crack, crack, crack. And it's just a one long take <laughs> from, you know, from beginning to basically the head being completely demolished. And, um, I'm just standing there and we're watching it and I just reached for Hannah's hand and I just squeezed her hand cause there was something really messed up. About like he was having a hard time. I, I'm a masochist. So I was loving it. I, like my existential, and was like on fire being like yeah yeah yeah. i'm watching myself (laughs) i just didn't didn't expect to have that reaction like like you know it's fake and yet it still churned my stomach a little bit but i was was having like it was like a sadist dream you know it's wonderful yeah so that's a bit different because it wasn't hannah acting in front of camera it it, it was a mold of hannah's face but i'll always remember that as kind of like the the weirdest experience of of working with with hannah in some way i'll I'll always love acting and i'll always want to act but i just don't want to do that that endless slog of um of Of like the audition track yeah yeah i'd rather write myself roles yeah yeah 
Well, um, Kane, you had mentioned earlier that you know you uh, like to act and stuff. Uh, are we? Are, do you have any desire to act on film? Are you going to be in one of you and Hannah's next movies? Are you so, going to write a role for yourself, or I don't, do, yeah. do you intend to stay behind the camera the whole time? He's a great actor. I mean, I've really only done. I mean, I acted in our last film, but that's because we all just kind of we, we all just acted in it because we had no money to make it. But um, you know, I, I liked it. I I do like it. I I acted in a lot of my friends' short films, film school, but I haven't really done it professionally. And so it's one of those things where I, where I'm always telling friends and things, hey, you know, I'm available because <laughs> it's fun. It's fun as a director <laughs> to go on someone else's set and kind of have no responsibility except your your part. You know, like just 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 say your lines, totally. um, and that's all you have to focus on. And I, I've got a lot of respect for actors, so like that. I think working with actors is my favorite part of the process. I think watching fantastic acting happening in many ways is like the greatest magic to me of, of all the filmmaking. So I, I, I really have a lot of, a lot of respect for what they do. And I, I never assume to think that I can just step in with no background and just do it. Um, but you know, it does happen. Look at someone like, uh, Jay, Jay Duplass, you know, who like was never really an actor. And then, in his forties started acting. So he's so good. So I'll, I'll see things like that in the back of my mind. I'm like, I wonder if I can do that one day. We've got to write Kane more roles. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what it comes down to. We, we, we couldn't shoehorn me in, into Sissy. There was no real um, opportunity there to do that. Um, But, you know, we'll always keep an eye out for little things that I can do. It's just funny. It's just awesome. Fun. We hope to see you. We hope yeah. to see you on screen, you know. How hard was it? This question's for both of you. Sorry. So sorry. I want to be directed by her this <laughs> there time. There you go. Yeah. It's, no, we'd love so, to see that. You'd be the star. Exactly. You'd be the star she acts. Yeah. It's it's time it's time for a role reverse. <laughs> yeah. Let's mix it up a bit. Uh, <clears throat> so I have a question for the both of you though. This movie is technically like a dark comedy like it's a it's a it's a horror comedy but it's like it's on the nose it's fucking perfect and i wanted to know how hard was it to make a movie that's this dark because it does get really fucking dark so when how hard was it to balance that with like a sense of humor because that's definitely a delicate balance did you guys struggle writing that um didn't struggle writing it loved writing it that was the goal the fear was how do we achieve that in the edit um right because we shot this film in 21 days in the middle of COVID with 11 days pre-production. It was so hard. Um, I know that films have been made in less time, but the lack of pre-production really like boned us during production. Um, but we got all the pieces together and we worked with our brilliant editor, Margie Hoy. And I think, I think it's nice that you say that in some way we've pulled the intention off because we were like looking at the pieces and at the beginning of the edit being like, Oh my God, how do we, how do we reflect what we try to achieve in the script? Yeah. Um, cause we, we, we were pretty threadbare on, you know, on coverage. Like a lot of the film was kind of essentially kind of edited in camera, meaning like we just shot the connecting pieces we needed as opposed to kind of covering a scene from all different angles because we didn't have time. Um, and you know, that, there's a lot of there's a lot of merit to working that way, but it's risky because you kind of don't have a lot to fall back on if it, if, if if you get into the edit room and you see it didn't work. Aisha's um, you know. performance, I think, was the thing that solidified 
It was the glue. It really was the glue. And we're just really lucky that we had her because she's such a professional and she's also really funny. And she was able to, in her performance, maintain that sort of grounded inner truth of her character losing her mind and becoming increasingly unhinged, but also like how that losing her mind became a fairy tale for her. Like that's a really hard thing to pull off. Like Like, she still, she still is likable even as she's doing these things. And her empowering herself was this really fucked up thing for all the people, all the other characters in the movie, but this sort of like emancipation story. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like she's stepping into who she's supposed to be, whether whether it's a good thing for society or not. It's, it's, her, it's her, you know, it's her core self. Like Aisha so. brought the glitter internally that we then transposed in the edit onto the film and onto the picture, which yeah. was and such our, a relief. <laughs> our, our editor, um, our editor, Mar- Margie Hoy, who's a really dear friend of ours. She, she also kind of, you know, was looking at a lot of that in the rushes and editing it and going and, and, and kind of adding a lot of glitter in little cheap kind of after effect um, things that she'd slap on and she'd show us when we'd come in in the morning and, um, we would just be like, wow, you know, like, can, can, can we do that? Can like we, the paper moon that just pops yeah, on the screen. Can we just have a moon pop on screen or can we just have a wall of glitter outside the house? Like where's that? And, and so, you know, she, I, she kind of really started to feel like the movie needed to be a time capsule in and of itself of Cecilia's own delusion. And kind of like she stuck at the moment when the trauma happened when she was 12 years old. And so it needs to feel almost like a 12 year old's kind of fever dream in some way. And so she added a lot of that, like a lot of it was in the script, but then she added more in the edit. And so it was just a a group effort, I think of understanding what we were going for and that it was this bizarre tone that kind of sits in the middle, like you said, of kind of comedy and and horror. And so, you know, we didn't know if we were going to pull it off, but I think when, when your editor and your cinematographer um, Steve, Steve Arnold, who was amazing, you know, he's such a uh, kind of veteran. He'll, he'll laugh at me saying this, but he's such a veteran of the Australian industry. Um, we all just got what we were doing. Um, and that goes for Asia as well, you know, like she's not also a, a production designer and our costume. Yeah. Renata yeah. and, yeah, Renata and Mike. And it, it was just a group effort as, as all films are. But I think, you know, when you're trying to pull off something that tonally there might not be a lot of references for outside of something like, you know, the loved ones. And there's been obviously great horror comedies like evil dead two and stuff. Get but, out. Yeah. But like not necessarily in this way either. And so it was hard to kind of say we're doing this and point in one direction. It just came from a lot of talking and a lot of, you know, reference images and a lot of different movies mashed together. And, and also, What's hard is when you get to that edit stage, taking your writing hat off still, like you think you've done that when you've hit production and you're the director, but you've got to do it again. You've got to be really honest with yourself and what you have when you get to the edit and go, no, it's not the script anymore. It's really not like we have to deal with what we have now and create a new puzzle. Um, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The weird one. Uh, with editing, do you, do you find it hard to edit your own films? I love it. I love it. It's my favorite part. It's I love it so much. It's yeah, the best yeah. part of directing for me. Yeah, no, I I love editing. You know, I I, I come from an editing background. Um, it was nice to work with an editor on this one, though. It it just offers you another voice in the room and another kind of set of ideas. But 
Yeah, I'm I'm all for kind of chopping. Like I remember learning quite early on in film school, we uh, I was shooting this um, this short film, and and in the writing process, like there was this one scene that I just kept rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. Like the rest of the script kind of was good and locked, and there was this one scene that my teacher just kept being like, "It's not working, it's not working." I probably rewrote that scene like twenty times. And then we shot the film and when we got in the editing room and my, my teacher took one look at it, the very first note on the first cut was like, that scene's going to go, it's going to be cut. And I was like, but that's the scene I put all the work into. And he said, yeah, but I mean, there's the scene you shot on the page and there's what I'm looking at. And it doesn't mean you failed or you didn't shoot it well. It just means like now that it's in moving pictures, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like you don't need it or, you know, um, and, and so that really lodged in my brain, um, from a young age, they're like, right, that's, that's the difference. Like as soon as you get into the editing room, you have to become a murdering slasher. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to, you know, you've got to become the Michael Myers of your own film <laughs> you and just cut the shit out of it. Yeah. You've know? got to put on the screen mask and just go for it. Yeah. And, and really be brutal, like not have any connection to, Oh, but you know, that scene took us so long. Cause only, you know, that the audience doesn't know that and they don't give a shit. All they're going to see is see the finished product. So and that's why producers are like wary of writer directors, I think. And usually why they don't <laughs> let them edit their own film as yeah. well. So, <laughs> cause I remember we like wanted to cut this one early on and our producers were like, no, you're working with an editor. And in hindsight, we're actually really grateful that we did because Margie was amazing. But you know, um, just goes to show that there, there, there is the film you write, there is the film you shoot, and there's the film you edit, and they're kind of three separate, three separate movies. Yeah, and you have to contend with your ego to actually get it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you bring up how much how much you both really like editing. I would say that's one thing that's really surprised me from doing the podcast and talking to directors and everything is how much people really enjoy editing and really really i feel like we've learned that that's really where the film itself is really made yeah it's where it's it's where the magic happens honestly you don't um, have to manage people when you're editing you, yeah you just have to manage yourself i think that's a huge component yeah like like a lot of the shoot you know there's so many things going on and you're and you're talking to 50 people at one time and and you're negotiating personalities and egos sometimes and all this stuff. But in the editing room, it's just it's just you and your editor and it's just like a sacred space and like anything goes. It's like painting, right? Like it's just It's, it's just more intimate. Yeah. It's more intimate, it's more revealing, you know. You, and there's you the relief of being like, Oh, look at all the things I fucked up during the shoot, but now this is what I have to work with. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Like it's yeah. it's really exciting. Like stop complaining about what you didn't get done the way you wanted to and actually just work with what you have. And, yeah. and make the best of it. Um, and no, no one ever will know in our heads what the movie was, you know, and it's, I guess it's pretty close, but like, you know, there was, there were moments there in the edit when we just thought we didn't have our movie, you know, and, and those early cuts are always the most brutal thing because no, and I, I hear about this from directors that have made like 50 movies, you know, they still sit there and they watch the first cut and they just want to shoot themselves. Um, but they, there's that masochism as well. It's like it's like you you become addicted to that feeling. Of yeah. Like, like the torment. It's like a cathartic process. Yeah. Yeah. It's just chiseling and chiseling and and just wearing the thing down until really only what remains is what you need and everything else has to go. And hopefully you've done right by your investors and hopefully you make money back and you have to live with the uncertainty of that for like another year as you move through post-production and then it comes out to the world and you've got to like deal with how everybody's responding to it. And that's, it's just insanity. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the edit in that sense is kind of like the last pure stage of filmmaking before you have to deal with what people think and all that crap. Yeah. yeah. You let the rolling. And I feel like Sissy, a lot of the audience gets their feelings from Cecilia from those extreme close-ups, and she just has like a great range of different emotions. Was it hard to find somebody that could like do all those emotions? I mean, yeah, well... We kind of chose Aisha really quickly because um, I was a fan of hers on The Bold Type. I don't know if you know that show, but it was like huge in Australia, it's an American show, but American it was, show, it was big in Australia. Canadian production, like yeah. one of those sort of glossy next generation sex in the city style shows for millennials and Gen Z. And, and Aisha's range as an actor was just so um, intoxicating as a viewer. Like everybody, like she's got such a huge fan base because she's so deeply likable. And she was attracted to Sissy because she was like, I identify strongly with Cecilia. And when she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm Cecilia too. Like we all are to some extent. And that entry point was so powerful. Mm. Um, she gave it this new life. So she, but she, but she was, she was pretty adamantly like, no, I really am Cecilia. Like I don't know how to tell you guys this. Like I read this and I fell in love with this. Like she's my homegirl. Like I, 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 I love this this person i don't judge her i don't think of her as you know a quote-unquote villain or anything i think it's her emancipation she's story the hero. i think she's the hero of the story and everyone else just needs to fuck off and leave her alone and so as soon as she said that to us in the very first um talk, talk that we had it's kind of like you don't even really need to you know audition or go through uh the process of seeing how she delivers lines or what emotion she like you trust the person based on you know their connection to the role and and we didn't know what we were going to get at that point like we didn't know that on set when we had a close-up like you're saying like that like what her how her emotions would reveal themselves on her face that that's just you you put your trust in the actor and 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 the person first and you just you just decide to 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 do this together and that you'll just figure it out and then obviously when we got to the set and we just saw that she was nailing it take after take then suddenly there's a lot of relief and you go okay she's 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 got this and our direction needs to just be really simple you know like a little faster a little slower come in left instead of right like you never really had to tell her about who she is. No, we just had to get out of her way and let we her just had do to, We just had to get out of her way and let her cook, you know, because she's, she's just that kind of actor. Yeah. And she was doing it in like one or two takes, you know, she's, we were moving on. So. She's like um, she's like a jazz drama, Aisha. That's yeah. what she is. Yeah. Like as an actor. And, you know, she's like all in her head while she's acting and she's like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably ruining this whole thing. But you just, you just reassure and go, it's great. Let's move on. Like, we've got it. And then, and so she's able to separate then when she watches it back, when she watches the film, she's actually able to separate herself from doing it. And, and it was, it's been really fun watching how people have received her performance over the past year, like throughout 2022, it was, it's just wonderful that we got to see Aisha absorb that to some extent. Um, yeah. Cause it was something that was not like she was stepping out on the ledge a little bit. Um, and she carried that whole film. 
Yeah. And she was, she knew that she was like, I'm coming to work on this little independent film, film in Australia. I've been working on a, 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 a mainstream show for five, six years or whatever, where I'm in the flow. I show up to work every day. There's no risk. Like the, the show's got a series order, you know, it's on. And she's like, what if I come to Australia and work with these filmmakers and I fuck up their film? Because like the film is named after my character. I'm in every scene. It's so, the lead. It was so her first lead role. She really, yeah, yeah. She really felt that pressure. You know, there's, um, there's not a lot of lead roles with African Australian women either. And she felt a real sense of responsibility. Um, you know, um, and I just think it meant a lot to her. And so she put a lot on the line and I, I'm just really proud of how, how, how she delivered. And she got nominated for an actor recently, which yeah, is like the highest it. accolade in Australia. So, it, you know, that's really special. We would, yeah. We're just like happy to, yeah. for that to have happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And um, so I've stated several times on this podcast that one of the things that I dislike about the majority of movies that I watch in every genre is that you can tell that the female dialogue was written by a guy. And uh, my mom and sister raised me, so I'm in tune to how women really act and talk. And the lines in Sissy, like the dialogue is so natural, like it just really seemed like a chick flick. So I wanted to know, Hannah, did you write the dialogue because, you know, you're the female of the group or is Kane just that good? <laughs> Kane is just that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Literally the one dialogue scene I wrote got, got cut out. So. <laughs> no, the dialogue that scene that Kane wrote is my favorite scene of the whole movie. It just didn't um, make sense in the movie. But, um, make sense. yeah, Con- Constable Martindale, um, that's, oh, that's my true. favorite scene of the whole film. But Which is a male. I wrote the male role, but you, but you did write the female role. So. <laughs> Therein lies my the favorite comedic moment. Anyways, we're just going to blow it, smoke up each other's asses now. But, um. You wrote most of that dialogue. <laughs> she wrote most of that dialogue. She's not going to take credit for it, but she did. I appreciate you saying that, um, because I just, every time I watch it and hear it, I'm just like cringe, 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 cringe. <laughs> cringe. That's not how people speak. <laughs> you know and like achieving the sort of tone of a real friendship group but then the farce of them being in this scenario was a difficult um assignment i think yeah you know yeah but yeah getting the audience to believe that she would like run into her old best friend and then get invited to a hen's weekend away and then they all lose each other in this landscape and yeah but that's just horror tropes right you know like that's that's plot mechanics but when you've got characters around a dinner table talking you know that is that that pure dialogue i think is something that hannah really excels at and she enjoys it you know thanks man yeah I love how I have to answer your question before you could you you start talking about script structure to like avoid the point yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wanted to say where did the idea to include the show Paradise Lost come from because that was one of the things that just made me laugh so much Um, yeah like me watching uh, one season of Love Island in Australia um, gave birth to that Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. my dream is to make a whole show um, like a series based on that show and like the Bravo empire. I shouldn't say this out loud because then someone else will do it. But, um, I think that the psychological warfare of American reality TV is delightful. And yeah, that's where that all came from. Like I am a part of bachelor nation. Um, (laughs) 
I don't know if you know what that is, but it's uh, it's pretty fun. That that really is a, a a very distinctly Hannah thing too, because I I would walk in the room and she's watching this, and my my approach is always just like, why are you filling your head with this trash? I'm like, this is Athenian, like Grecian, you know, like Sophocles <laughs> in the Sophocles. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like gladiator, you know. It's like modern gladiator, but with like Christian romanticism. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's definitely like you 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 said this the other day. I think it's definitely like uh, the modern version of the be- the the beauty pageant, right? Like um, that too. Whereas in the eighties and nineties, you had women standing up there saying world peace, you know, like that's kind of now they're just well, trash the, reality stuff. All the beauty know? pageants graduate into those um, shows and yeah. that's how they generate followers and activity. And we all hate watch them because it's, it's wonderful to hate watch beautiful people who say dumb things. And it, and then they go through these like atrocious mental breakdowns. Some of them commit suicide because of what they've invited into their lives. Like it's 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 tragedy and comedy all mixed in together in yeah. a wonderful, awful way. <laughs> um. So I have a question for the both of you. What was the hardest scene? The hardest scene. I'm sorry. In Sissy to film. What put the struggle on both of you the most? That's a good question. I mean, there's ones that were harder technically. There's ones that were just harder to get right performance-wise. Um, there mean, was you- a really tough day in the shoot where we had to cut a huge slasher sequence um, when Emma uh, finds Yaren, uh, sorry, um, finds Tr- Tracy, Tracy under the bed. Um, we had to cut like five pages in half an hour and we had to figure out how to segue all of that information into like one scene um and it was was supposed to be that when emma finds tracy and she knows that uh cecilia did this that she then walks out the the room leaves the room and she creeps down the hall and there's this little blood trail and it just it stretched out the suspense and we were going to build to a point when Cecilia would turn a corner and it'd be a jump scare. Like make it truly creepy. But but suddenly we were just in a situation where like we didn't have time to leave that to shoot to to, to light another part of the house. Like it, we we had to somehow do it in that room, and we were just like. I remember we went to Aisha who was hanging out in a room just waiting. Playing the ukulele. She was just, yeah, just chilling like on a ukulele waiting to be told, to be told <laughs> that we're ready. And we just sat there and we closed the door and we were just like, look, Aisha, like we, we, we need to all put our heads together here because like that scene's going to get cut. Um, we need to still have you arriving and scaring Emma and get on with the show with, with the two of you but we might not be able to do this drawn out kind of suspense um, sequence anymore. And which makes it less of a horror film. Cause we kept trying to like insert those tropes wherever we could like nodding to the, yeah. the horror canon, but you know, another kill your darling. Yeah. You know, and like now, like now Emma just sees the body and she turns around and Cecilia's right, right there in the doorway. And it's more and, of a comedic scene than anything. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you don't really miss it if you don't know what it was going to be. But you know that that was a that was a, a a bit of a dark night of the soul where we were like, oh, well, we really didn't want to lose that, and it's just that's just sometimes what happens. It's um, we also had the other trope of like Emma going into the car and trying to drive away, and her getting knocked out by the boot door. You know, like all, like all of that stuff. But well, that was a whole scene that got cut pretty pretty early on. Yeah. Um, I mean, the there was also just like lo- logistically 
probably the most difficult scene was when the group are all down in the little watering hole um, because there was really yeah. nowhere to put the camera. And so we kind of had it on like a long kind of crane arm that was up on the, on, on the, on the embankment. And I mean, that we didn't even have that location. Like we knew where that was, we were going to shoot in that part of the park somewhere. But the water but changed because there was it, rain and it, it wasn't until it rained a lot the night before that we showed up that morning and that little watering hole had actually formed like overnight. And so suddenly it was like, we had to just tell everyone we're changing the plan and we're shooting it in this part of the park, right? Like right here. And that just became a logistical nightmare, but it was worth it. And again, just one of those things where if you get a little bit of luck, you just, you just ride it, you know, and, and we were able to put our heads together and figure out a way to get a camera down there and our grips and our camera team were amazing. And, um, you know, but that was just a nightmare. Like we were just all day in that little, that kind of watering hole and the embankment was so high up that like, like when I was trying to shout, like, like I had to like shout directions and no one could hear me and, it was just we, very, as in, the, in the acting seat, we couldn't hear each other because of the sound, you know. It was just very frustrating. So um, you overcompensate as a performer and then, you, you know, that, that screws you up in the edit. And it was interesting from that acting perspective to see that transference of like you don't have to overcompensate just because the environment's loud. Yeah, well, I mean, there's ADR you know, to, to cover up all the water that, that's rushing over everyone's lines in the background, but. Yeah, so so there's logistical ones, and then there's just the ones that are like your darlings that that kind of hurt. The car was really difficult the whole time. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of things. I don't think there was an easy day of shooting, to be honest. No. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, he's like as the audience, you see something like you know the watering hole scene, and it doesn't come off that oh man, that was like such a problem. It film. seems so simple, right? Thank it's you just, just people, saying that. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. just people sitting there. Just stick stick a camera on them, wide shot, done. It doesn't seem like that, but I think that's what that's why they say don't don't shoot around water, you know. I mean this is nothing compared to like what Spielberg, what Spielberg went, went through on Jaws when they were <laughs> out on the water out of the I was gonna boat. say, like that might be my favorite slasher, but I know it's not a slasher, but for me it, it feels like one. <laughs> kind of. I mean if aliens are slasher then you're like, I mean it kind of fits. Yeah. I think it might okay, I think that's my answer. It's Jaws. <laughs> There's got to be a subcategory where it's like creature slashes, right? Where it's like, oh, it's <laughs> doing it. It's, it's aliens or animals. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed the practical effects. How important was Scarecrow Studios to the process? Larry and Troy and Lee, was it Lee? Larry and Tristan, Tristan and uh, Julian. Julian, oh gosh. Um, Larry, Larry, Larry Van Dynoven, he's, he's, it's his company and he's kind of the head guy and, um, it was huge. Like we were just really hoping that he would say yes and want to work with us. Cause he did. I don't know if you guys saw relic, which was an Australian horror film that came out. Oh my God. I yeah, love that. Movie. And like the, love the, the prosthetics and the makeup in that movie are incredible. And he did that. And, um, Mortal he's, Kombat. he's done a lot of stuff that we liked. Um, he worked on the invisible man. I think he worked on upgrade. Um, I don't think he did bubble. No, that was oh, before his time. Man, that's such yeah. a good movie. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, like the next slash scene, he was explaining to us how, how, how he did that. And, and he, he was just one of those guys who, like when, when we sat with him and we were like, we really want to work with you and blah, 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 blah. He, um, had just come off an experience where, you know, a lot of his VFX, uh, a lot of the prosthetics got replaced by VFX. And he was just so happy to work with, um, I think us, because we were just kind of, 
we were just like fanboying over how we want to do everything practical. And he was just like, man, this is, this is the antidote that I needed. So I think he really had a good time and, um, we just kind of cut him loose and, and look, look, like, I mean, compared to other stuff he's done, it's pretty like small fry because it, 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 it was smaller scale, but he also had a lot less resources to work with than he does with like, he's doing the new Mad Max, you know? So like, he's just the guy in Australia. He's kind of like the Tom, Tom Savini. Or, he loves it. Like, he's like a kid in a toy store. Like yeah. he, he like on that watering hole day, he's coming up to me and being like, Hannah, here are the eight versions of the scars we can put on Alex's cheek. And to me, they look all the same. And he's like, which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, whichever you think, Larry. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He loves it. You know, he, he, um, he trained under Dick Smith. I think he got some experience through Dick Smith in the early days, you know, um, the legendary Dick Smith who did the exorcist and, and, a, and a whole bunch of stuff. But so he's really, he's just a student. He's just a student of his craft, you he know, likes like, it. like the way we are with, with directors and writers. That's just, he just looks up, he just looks and up to other Tristan, makeup artists. And um, he like, you know, Fran's head, like every single hair was woven yeah, through that head. Like yeah. that, that sort of attention to detail and craftsmanship, even though you've got one shot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then we, we, we just get to ruin it all in like one time. You know, and these guys have been working on it for weeks. So that's just that's just part of the that's just part of it. And they're the they're they're the keenest guys, like huddling around the camera. And they're just and, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were probably honestly, Scarecrow Studios were were some of the coolest people that we worked with for sure. So big big shout out to those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like practical effects have kind of come back around where they kind of went out. Everything went C- CG. And now there's people who grew up watching the practical effects that appreciate yeah. it. And we're like, no, I want these back in the movies. I want to do a practice. Yeah. So my number one favorite movie of all time is Death Becomes Her by Robert Zemeckis. And the practical effects okay. yeah, I like that in movie. that movie, I think, are like primo. And that's where we want to be. Like, yeah. We just want to rely, like, try and make it as un-CGI as possible. Yeah. Which I is think, hard to do on a tight budget. But I think it's true what you said. It's like, um, as you know, all the kids of the eighties and nineties, uh, are becoming filmmakers in their own right. And, um, there's just an appreciation for the way that movies were made when we were kids, you know? Um, we obviously like the older directors from back in the day, like say someone like George Lucas or J- James Cameron, like they, they, they had to do all that in their early stuff. Then they got to they got to play with more resources, and they start to pioneer CGI. And then that takes off its own kind of uh, course. And you know, the pendulum always swings a bit too hard, and then everyone just goes full Gaga for CGI. And now it's like you said, it's coming back around. And I just think that's a really a really cool thing. You know, like look at what Brett, what Brandon Cronenberg did in P- Possessor. I mean, I just think that's just. Like, some of the greatest prosthetic work I've seen in the last like 10 plus years. Um, yeah, so, the flesh. For sure. yeah, just the flesh. Well, I mean, look, he's dad, he's like, he's a Cronenberg, right? It's to be expected, but he could have gone the other way, <laughs> yeah. you know, but he's obviously grown up with a real appreciation for that stuff. So, um, and you like, it's tactile. Like we do, I think our eyeballs, there's something in our brains that appreciates that more. Yeah. Like I would say the things we like the least about our own film are the things that through budget reasons or whatever we had to do in CGI. And 
it just kills us because like we don't we didn't really want any cgi but there are moments that were enhanced by cgi like a lot of cleanup where you, a lot of like stitching up of things where you don't see the prosthetic lines and stuff like that's that's a great use of it um but like if it was up to me i would replace all the cgi in our film with practical like effects. the cgi in june is really good yeah you know yeah yeah that's true if you've got the real budget to do it um, you know, we had, we had one VFX guy essentially, uh, who hand painted a lot of the stuff by himself. So like, we just didn't have the resources that you might have on a film like that to just keep doing multiple, multiple passes of it. Um, but you know, it serves its purpose. And I think a lot of the, the better moments of the film are enhanced by CGI for sure, or VFX. It's just, you know, there's nothing better. Like you said, there's nothing better than, seeing something that's tactile and like e- even if it looks a bit fake even if it looks a bit fake it's it still feels more real than something that that you that the brain can see is completely not real yeah and digitally created yeah you know the puppetry as well like the terminator where yeah you see oh what was like the, the other stop, one stop motion with, stuff. with arnie where they like transverse dreams total recall total recall yeah yeah, yeah. When you see the puppet, like the full animatronic thing, yeah, like yeah. getting up and and <laughs> melting, and yeah, it's, it's so fun. <laughs> I just watched Total Recall like a couple weeks ago. I still love yeah, it. It's incredible. It's so fun. Incredible. I mean, it's one of it's one of it's probably one of Arnie's. I don't know, top two roles, maybe. Such that- big ideas in the eighties being played with, you know, and such. Um, so much investment and risk from studios and independent um, yeah. filmmakers to they just tackle all this like sci-fi. Well, it was also an era I think where you could be a big studio film, but still kind of have a lot of um, you know quote unquote kind of authorship, and that's kind of changed now. Like now, the era of IP. Yeah, like like now 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 the director is brought in on those big films and has to kind of fit a mold, you know, which is which is. Um, unfortunate but like you know there's also been the boom of television where a lot of that more kind of um independent minded thinking is able to go on um inside of uh bigger budgets uh in that space on tv but hopefully that comes back around you know i mean that's a whole nother conversation honestly but um, uh getting back to uh sissy here how much of cecilia is really sincerely cecilia versus her just put it on a mask as this influence that's a really good question um i don't know if that's an answer I, and mean. we don't know that answer yeah because her psychopathy is so tied up in this persona like do, do yeah. we actually does cecilia actually know who she is but also like there's lots of there's already like we're already seeing online there's people that that you know that that really stand up for her like what we were saying about Asia and um there's people that you know think she's crazy so it's kind of like we don't want to tell anyone how they should feel about her because i think it's up to the it's up to the viewer you know um you always bring your own background and your own kind of life history into whether or not you gravitate to a character and um, you know, where we're kind of asking the audience essentially to get down with, with someone who is essentially the, the slasher character in most other films. So it's not an easy ask, but I think, you know, is she sincere? I mean, that's all woven into like, you know, her, I don't know, like, like you said, her, her headspace, like if, if we say she's sincere, 
or she's insincere, then it might completely kind of color how you how you view her as a character. I think we all have these idealized versions of ourselves, mm. and I think we're all dangerously close to believing that that's who we are. So, yeah, I don't think that any of us have objective truth about our own sincerity or our intentions or... Yeah. 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 <laughs> and... uh a really random reference in the movie that I want to bring up, Crossroads. Was that a big film for either of you growing yes. up? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Zoe Saldana, Britney Spears. Um, I, my, all of my friends and I watched that movie growing up and made time capsules and buried them and um, were going to run away from home when we were in our late teens right after prom and throw our throw our wishes into the ocean, um, you know, that was just, I, I want more films like that to be made where it's just unapologetically bad and cheesy and sparkly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not one of my references. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I mean, you know, like. What are you saying? It's, I, I, I had seen it. It's definitely an, another one of those things where I was just like, okay, wow. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Like there is definitely an audience for that. Um, <laughs> let's revisit that. You know, if, if I'm making you watch, you know, Friday the 13th part four, then I will, I will watch Crossroads. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Kane and Hannah, uh, will you possibly revisit the character of Sissy at some point and do a sequel? Or do you think this is the last we see of her? Or is she going to dig up another childhood friend or past trauma where maybe we'll see her again? Listen, we have a whole sequel. Yeah. We have a whole sequel yeah. mapped out. Um, up, to power, no shit. up to the powers that be, you know, um, until, until we get a phone call saying that they're, that they're on board. Um, you know, it's all, it's all about kind of um, the, the producers and the companies that made the, the film who retain the rights. Yeah. So, you know, okay. we, there's definitely where there's a story that we would love to tell. Um, you know, there's other films we want to make first. I think it's not, it's not something that, um, you know, is a priority. I would say like there's an original script that we're working on now that we're really excited about. Um, there's a couple other things. Um, but Sissy was written with the intention of it being a trilogy. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, what, oh, what, nice. what, what use is it in making a slasher film if you don't have sequels, right? Yeah, so. it's, a, it's an origin story. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very very much kind of probably lends itself to that. Um, and, yeah, there's stories that we know we want to tell, but um, we'll just have to wait wait and see if, it's, uh, if it happens. Hopefully it grows a cult fandom and we can rely on the full force of the cult fandom yes. to, to, to make yes. what we want to make. Yeah, so if you guys want to see Sissy 2, you have to go out and spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to. That's hopefully this episode exactly. will do. Thank you. Thank you for the support. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just thought of another reference from there that I wanted to bring up was uh, the Midnight Cowboy reference from the Dennis Hoffman. Ah, I love that. Or Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, I'm walking here. Yeah, I love that you. I love that. I feel, I feel like too many people now just know the line, but have unfortunately never seen yeah. the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, in, it's into the lexicon, you know. It's just one of those lines, you know. It's like you had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we wanted to thank you both again for joining us today. And uh, and before we wrap up here, uh, do you have any projects you guys are working we on? We do. 
But besides to see too. <laughs> yeah, we're working on the next one right now, um, but we're not going to talk about it because we don't want to jinx it because we're superstitious artists. So, yeah. yeah. And also, I think there's just something really cool about genre films, you know, like as a viewer when they just come out and you haven't heard anything about them and you're like, holy shit. This is great. Like I never even like I didn't read too much about this. I didn't hear about it two years before it came out, and so I think it, it, it's important to try and play close to the chest with. But we're definitely kind of interested things. in leaning into the genre mashing space. So. Yeah, it's going to be a little, little more of the horror satire. Maybe, 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 maybe some sci-fi elements. So let's 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 wait and see. <laughs> I can understand being superstitious. I don't know if, if, if you both are familiar with uh, the U.S. version of The Office, but I'm like Michael Scott. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little yeah, superstitious. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're a lot stitious. <laughs> yeah. <What's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, where where can people keep up with you online uh, for your projects? Um, we are both off of social media right now. Well, actually, you're still well, on a little bit, but we're we're on Instagram, so we'll on we'll, and off. We'll, yeah. we'll pop up every now and then to share bits of news, but it's 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 not it's not really a regular thing, um, so, especially now that the film's out. It it comes out um, on DVD um, and. Um, on on well online i was going to say in australia on january 18 which is pretty soon and then i think um the uh i forget the date but sometime in march is when there's going to be the physical media release uh in the states but if you want to stalk us we're at hbar um hbar and kane at kane senes k-a-n-e-s-e-n-e-s um on instagram All right. Well, thank you again both for joining us today. We really enjoyed Sissy, and we enjoyed getting to talk to you guys about that and and slasher films throughout the entire interview. That was awesome as well. I'll have a better answer. We love Sissy, and you guys were great guys. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having us, um, listening to us waffle on, and I promise I'll have my solidified answer the next time we speak to you. Well, you said Jaws. You said Jaws. You're just redefining redefining what the slasher means. Be bold. (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys yeah thank you so much take care alright take care thank you guys thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in thanks again to Kane Sennis and Hannah Barlow for joining us today Uh, so we'll be back next week for you with a review of uh, Megan or uh, as some are calling it M3 Gan. (laughs) Uh, so we'll be back with a review of that for you Uh, make sure to follow us online at high on horror 420 well I was going to say gmail but that's the fucking email but yeah email us high on horror 420 gmail.com follow us on facebook twitter instagram tiktok at high on horror 420 Um, I mean you can check out our website too high on horror.com while you're there you can sign up for the newsletter Get episodes and shit all sent directly to your email. And send us uh, puff puff ass questions too. Yeah, fuck it. Do it all. And while you're there, go ahead and read some reviews too. <laughs> I actually got one up there. I learned how to write. <laughs> uh, I think that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody. <laughs>